0: What is a priest called to be in ministry? And how do we help him answer that call? Join us as we examine the goals and tasks of the formation of future priests with today's special guest, Father Dave Pavanka, Director of Post-Novitiate Formation for the Sacred Heart Province, Franciscan Friars, TOR. I'm Father Michael Scanlon, President Emeritus of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. about forming tomorrow's priests, because forming our future priests is one of the most important missions the church undertakes. And that's our topic today in Franciscan University presents. So we're here with our regular panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University, and Dr. Scott Hahn, Professor of Biblical Theology at Franciscan University. A special guest is an old friend and buddy, Father Dave Pavanka, He's Director of Post-Novitiate Formation for the Franciscan Province of the Third Order Regular. He's also superior. I've never thought of him as (laughs) superior before of St. Louis Friary in Washington, D.C. He holds master's degrees in theology and divinity and a doctorate in education. And he's currently completing a law degree. And I keep asking him what he's really up to (laughs) in doing that. But Father Dave is also the author of several books, including Spiritual Freedom, God's Life-Changing Gift. So, Father Dave, when we talk about the process by which the church readies young men for religious life and the priesthood, we always use the word formation. Now, to a lot of lay people, what does that mean, you know? Why formation as the key word?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question, Father Mike, And that uh, a couple of things, first off, we're taking an individual and bringing them from the world to something else. But when you opened, you said the church's role in the formation of priests. And I think that's so important. It's, it's not just my role, it's yeah. not just the same, but it's the church's that as parents, parents uh, raising their sons are, are helping form them, that we're trying to take uh, an individual who has weaknesses and difficulties and struggles and stumbling blocks and all those kinds of things, and form them, mold them, make them something other than they were, perhaps, and and allow them to be able to serve the church as religious or as a priest.
0: Yeah, and and of course my crowd that came in, we were the old crowd that came in from the military. And we said, oh, basic training all over again. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you knew it from the military that you needed that discipline. No, I think FOLLOW ORDERS, GET UP ON TIME, MOVE, MAKE YOUR BED, CLEAN YOUR ROOM, AND GET TO WORK. Yeah.
1: No, I THINK THERE'S A PART OF THAT, THAT PART OF THE FORMATION THAT EVERYBODY WHO BECOMES ORDAINED GOES THROUGH is, IS THAT PROCESS OF... WHEN THE HOLY FATHER SPOKE ABOUT SEMINARY FORMATION, HE TALKED ABOUT THE MOLDING OF THE SELF, OF THE INDIVIDUAL, THAT EACH ONE OF US NEEDS TO HAVE AN OPPORTUNITY TO TAKE A LOOK AT OURSELVES. WHERE IS IT THAT WE NEED TO BE CHANGED OR WHERE IS IT THAT WE NEED TO BE FORMED? HOPEFULLY, SEMINARY and FORMATION Allows that to happen in, in all the things that you just mentioned the spiritual, the psychological, the education, and all of those helps form an individual so he's to be able to serve the church.
0: But there's a, we use the term disciples of Christ, like there's a discipleship process of it, so that in the military you just had to be like the sergeant yeah. <laughs> who is giving you the commands, but we're talking about. Imitating Christ and yeah. being His disciple. And, right? and I think
1: that's the, the biggest key for when we discuss formation of, of seminarians future priests, is that first and foremost they're a disciple of Jesus. Yeah. That they come to understand who Jesus is, who they are in relationship with Him, and their priesthood flows from that basic call of discipleship right. that they've been given. Yeah, you, you can't see it uh, primarily
2: as a, a function of obedience, uh, of, of following orders. You know the top sergeant has spoken, and the privates yeah. they fall into line. I mean, ultimately, it's it's a relationship, uh, and the relationship is between uh, the soul and God, mm-hmm. who has called him. Yes. You know, vocare a vocation, an invitation to put on Christ in a particularly dramatic uh, uh, and fruitful way. And and the immediate context, I think, oftentimes is a family. I mean, Carol Vatiwa discovered his. Vocation in the yeah. seminary that had been his home, watching his father pray. Uh, the relations between he and his his dad were formative, that became a kind of springboard for what later was a rigorous seminary training. Absolutely, I, I do think though that uh, besides identifying
3: the family as the natural soil for the supernatural preparation, there is an analogy between what you were just talking about a minute ago, Father Mike, and that is military formation yeah. as well as spiritual formation because there's spiritual warfare just like there's physical warfare. Yeah. And while it might not be reduced to obediential servitude yeah. to a sergeant perhaps, yeah. nonetheless I would say the oblation of the will that is called forth in the yeah. priesthood is not less but yeah. actually greater yeah. Yeah. than the mere obedience of That's a right. buck private, you know. Right. And so just as you have army, navy, air force, marines, you know, you, you have the army in effect being the diocesan clergy. But you also have Dominicans and Benedictines and Franciscans and so on. But I do think that the, uh, the, the armed services look to men and women, but, you know, to the families and identify that so often the, 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 uh, the, the cultural influences can be positive, but more often than not, they can also be negative. So the family has to form these individuals in such a way as to counteract that by instilling virtues. Uh-huh. And as you said, you know, with John Paul, he described what it was like to walk you know, in the house in the middle of the night and to right, see his right. father yeah. on his knees, right. yeah. Yeah. you know, know. dramatic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But there's a, the role of being a lover is yeah. much different than you're called to love yeah. in the church. Well, they did a lot of telling you what to do with your body in the military, but they never said you had to love it, yeah. you know. Right. and. Yeah. Uh, formation of the internal person was so important.
3: But you do love your country in a new way. That's true. In fact, you love your comrades, from what my dad told me, in a way that was utterly unexpected, you know. So there are analogies. I mean, there are dissimilarities that are greater than the similarities. But but. but you
2: you have to insist that uh, the exercise of obedience, the extent to which uh, you submit, is grounded in love. There's got to be a prior a uh, movement of love, I mean, the, love. you know, the soldier, he's got to obey commands, but if he's prompted finally by patriotism, a natural love for his country uh, to whose defense he
1: rushes spontaneously, then you can count on that guy in the trenches. Yeah, to sacrifice. And that's one of the things yeah. that we do when, when they first enter the formation program is we begin to question what motivates the individual because there are lots of motivations. One of the lines in formation is the reason you came is not the reason you stay. Uh-huh. And we really try to help them get to that, that, that some are motivated because of, of their parents. Nice. Uh, I, I, yeah. I was very blessed and had a mom and dad who prayed the rosary and went to Mass every day. Yeah. And, and the impact that that have remembering my mom and dad in front of the stations of the cross watching them. And that has an impact in, in a, as a young man wanting to be able to honor my mom and dad and uh-huh. knowing that they would be thrilled to have a son right. who is a priest. Right. Every day of their married life, they prayed for that. But that isn't why uh, I right. could right. ultimately right. do it. Yeah. Ultimately, it has to be rooted in a call which comes from the person of Jesus and a response which is out of love. Obedience is a part of that, but it's a response. Right. You're a d-
0: disciple, and disciples give their heart to follow Absolutely. the Lord. It's not just, I mean, I never tried to give my heart to the top sergeant or to <laughs> well, I, I
3: don't know if you would have accepted <laughs> yeah. yeah. it. Right. Yeah. But you know, it's funny how we as a country celebrate the sacrifices that have been made by those people who have been involved in physical warfare, and for good reason. But I would say as Catholics who live in America, we ought to celebrate the sacrifices made by those who really lead us in spiritual warfare. Again, not Mm -hmm. less, but more, because the sacrifices that are made, not just on the altar in the Eucharist, but the sacrifices that are called forth in celibacy, in obedience, and poverty for many. You know, these sorts of things ought to be celebrated, you know, our own Veterans Day and that sort of thing. And, And this is why I think the formation involves more than obedience, more than hierarchy, more than authority that you find in the armed services. But you're, you're falling in love, you're staying in love, and you're, you're falling more in love. Yeah. That's the and key.
0: It, it seems that uh, we have to be aware that seminary formations change. The goals have changed over the years. Mm-hmm. And it used to be more get in line <laughs> and get the discipline and know the procedures.
2: Well, I, I, hope, I hope the changes have not been radical. Uh, I, I hope the same thrust uh, is in place. As, as Claudel says, you need to be worthy of, of the flame consuming you. Uh, and the flame of priesthood is all consuming. And if it's not prompted finally by love, uh, then I, I think it will devour you uh, and you'll turn out to be a miserable man and a rotten priest.
1: <laughs> and angry. Wow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think some of the basics over the years have changed. Uh, I think some of the differences on the mic were, you know, 50 years ago, a lot more men were coming in at 18, 19 years old. That's not the case anymore. As we have men who are coming in with degrees in, in accounting, and and they're coming in at, in early 30s. So there's a change that's taken place, and that, and part of that is is the formation becomes um, more important because for one, for better or for worse, they've been in the world longer. Whereas when you come yeah. in at 18. You're coming in with a, kind of a different, different background, different: plus, the world has
3: changed so dramatically in the last 50 years. I do think there have been yeah. radical changes, but I think we've we're, we're coming out of the radical yeah. changes that weren't altogether good. But as I think back to the priests I've talked to who got formation, you know back in the '50s, it, it was it was an academic exercise to a great extent, not exclusively, yeah. but it was informative. You, you, you learned and you studied. And then I think we went through a phase where the priest was more of a performative role, you know, where he's a kind of actor or, you know, somebody up there. Now, because of John Paul and because of Uh. Benedict, it's a transformative process where you have to really set your mark on becoming a saint and falling in love with our Lord, following Him, you know, and you see young men who really identify themselves as being John Paul priests.
1: Absolutely. You know, yeah. and... Yeah. And when you yeah, take a look good. at that individual, that. It, what, what John Paul would always say is that the interior life has to be key. For the seminary, right. it has to be a time of formation the where they grow in the interior life. That yeah. Academics are important, but there's not this division between those two things right. that we have the That's interior right. life and here we have the academic life. Rather, those two things should should breathe off And and, and, the and
2: there should also uh, not be an artificial separation between the basic human vocation
1: Absolutely. and a
2: priestly calling. Right.
1: In my experience, too often now is the younger seminarians are oftentimes making that that as if becoming a priest you're no longer human we know <laughs> right. l- yeah. no, hopefully we become more human right. in that which we don't have to apologize for being human isn't actually yeah. A yeah, good yeah i mean thing.
2: you don't take leave of, of the flesh uh, <laughs> i mean there's a sense in which you've got to sublimate and transcend it if you're going to be an authentic eschatological sign but you can't forsake the world because it's so it, it, it's so impossible or repulsive and you're choosing this better way because you can't bear the former right. I mean, you know you, you want a priest who's not strange or sinister mm-hmm. who's who's perfectly authentically alive yeah. you know, the, the, the sort of person you wouldn't mind uh, inviting home uh, you know to have dinner with and and introduce to your your children because he's a model of, of humanity and he makes priests stood attractive because humanly speaking he's a pretty engaging guy sure, sure. A- and you have the sense that he could succeed in almost anything Right, right. Yeah, this wasn't the last choice uh, uh, he was forced to make. I recall that. Uh, well, most things.
0: Uh, let's <laughs> no, let's yeah. not push it too far there. But,
1: but you use the word authentic. Um, Pope Benedict uses that word when he's speaking about priests and seminarians, is, is that it, he needs to be an authentic person, that when people look at them, he's not putting on airs, he's not acting, He's not. he is an authentic disciple of Jesus. You know, John Paul used to speak about the feminine
3: genius, mm. and he would trace yeah. that to spiritual motherhood. It might be natural, it might be supernatural. But there's also a masculine genius that is, yes. you know, traceable to paternity, spiritual fatherhood right. or natural fatherhood. And it isn't the case that when you move toward the supernatural that you just disavow, that you just simply, you know, repudiate. In fact, you've had father figures in the family formation, you know, your, your own father, perhaps. You know, it might be a grandfather or some kind of surrogate. It might yes, be a local sure, priest, sure, a yeah, sure. coach. Yeah, but those that, kinds of role models that are encu-
0: crucial. encouraged me so much, particularly from like our students here. Oh, you've been a spiritual father to me. Yeah. Oh, you've helped me. Yeah. Hey, there's nothing better they can tell me yeah. than being a spiritual right. father and being yeah. able to. Bring now you've that said point. this more than
3: once. I mean, were you? You've had titles like president, yeah. chancellor, dean, and so on. Father is the one that you cherish the most, you know, and I think that's true for
2: any good priest. Oh, that's great! Yeah, because the one is what you did or continue to do. Right, right. But being a priest is ontological.
1: Uh, Right, right. Absolutely, and you can't really get out of it. Yeah, and I just think of that for myself, Father Michael, and being a student here uh, a few years ago. Yeah. And you really having playing that role as, as mentor for me on one level, but as father and you a care and a concern for me as I was going through formation. Wow. But I think being able to, that's why we need this formation is that that doesn't necessarily come naturally. and some individuals, their experience has been lacking perhaps of father. So we begin at the very beginning stages of formation in trying to help them identify. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a priest? What does it mean to be father?
0: So when we come back, we want to really talk about that formation of today's seminarians and religious brothers and really understand what distinguishes it from what went before. Stay with us.
4: So many of the men that come to us now are influenced by uh, the late Pope John Paul II And one of the real positive contributions he made to seminary life or pre-seminary life is a focus on human formation. That before you become a holy priest of God, you have to be a holy man of God. And that means looking at areas like sexuality and and relationships. And so we have things like small group sharings and and spiritual direction and, and conferences on celibacy that uh, more than ever before are helping men to see how they can develop as holy men of God before becoming holy priests of God.
0: I know that what's being taught here is Catholic, and that is what I believe, and it's what the church teaches. We're Christians, little Christ. We don't go around always talking about Jesus, but Jesus is always at the heart of every conversation because
1: our relationship is built on Christ, the same way this school is built on Christ. After we've come here and gotten our formation and grown in our faith, we're called to go out and share the truth of Jesus
0: Christ with the rest of the world. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic. Talking about forming tomorrow's priests with Father Dave Pavanka, our special guest, and we want to talk about. What distinguishes today's seminarians and people in formation for the priesthood from those a generation or two ago?
1: Necessarily what was done generations ago, I'm going to leave to you because you were part of formation too. But I think one of the things that distinguishes seminarians today is, uh, first off, they're coming out of a world that's radically different. And their worldview has been, you know, this postmodern worldview is radically different than it was 50 years ago. Not not that it was a perfect time back then, but they're coming out of things that are more dark. Uh, The light and dark, that battle, you've used the word battle a couple of times, uh, I think is only intensifying. And in that, the priest is going to have to be able to enter into that and to be able to engage that. Uh, I think, interestingly enough, the seminarians coming in today are incredibly zealous. They understand perhaps the stakes. And what's at stake? I don't know. I can't say more than what was done in the past, but uh, it's a difficult time, honestly. They to be do a because right now. we just thought, oh, it's a higher life. Yeah, no, well, and, 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 you and if anything's happened over the last uh, many years in the priesthood, that sense of this higher life or preferential treatment is gone, you know, and, and I walk through airports dressed as a priest and and rarely do I have people come up and say, thank you so much. And I've had several times people come up and say things that I wouldn't ever want to repeat. So, the, there's, there's the priest, the, the young guys that are coming in want to be able to engage that. They really want to be ah. faithful priests that love the church and really help build up the beauty of, of priesthood again. So,
0: that sounds like we have a different need in formation because there's a different crowd out there, there's a different world, there's a different
2: challenge.
1: It is a different, I, like w- one of the things that I continually focus on is prayer, is silence, because we live in a world that is so loud that uh, our starting point in, in formation is, is being a disciple of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus praise. Yeah. Benedict used a beautiful line. He said that prayer for the seminarian, for the priest, is, is God breathes in His life, in, is His breath into us. And if we're not praying, we try to speak and we have no breath. Uh, the, the, the seminarians today need to continually be rooted in a personal prayer life, an in intimacy with Jesus, and their ministry and, and, and their priesthood is going to flow from that One other connection with the Eucharist. And their
0: presence. starting point, what brings them in? What are, why are they coming in these days?
1: Uh, Yeah, the the words that come into my mind: passion, zeal, um, battle. Battle is something that that is real to their world. Wow! um, The culture, as well. And and really stepping away from, getting out of. uh, You know, when you got to be
3: careful not to over-idealize or romanticize the past. You know, Mm -hmm. the '50s Aussie period. You know, there were lots of flaws, but they had bigger families. They generally were stronger families. Catholic education was probably much more vibrant and more integral at that stage too. And the culture itself wasn't so far down the road of uh, immorality and, and license and so on. As a result, you know, you have an entirely different context. Now, you know, in the military, between wars, some people choose that as a career, just because it's promotion, it's job security. But in wartime, you don't enter into the military for a career. You enter in with a zeal because you know that countries need. I think something similar is happening right now in the church. Where it's not just a career. It has to be a kind of zeal to enter in for spiritual battle. Those
0: my generation think of Going My Way and Bells of St. Mary. They're they're the great movies of the priesthood. Well, no, that's not the way
2: it goes. But I mean, even the the truth, uh, uh, the point survives the exaggeration. I mean, we we all know that the 50s uh, uh, can be easily caricatured. But nevertheless, there was a contrast and it's uh, an astonishing one. The fact that you're sometimes accosted uh, at airports, uh, uh, not because somebody needs uh, uh, you know, to uh, talk to a priest, they need absolution, but because they, they want to uh, spit on you. They want yeah. to heap contempt yeah. wow. uh, on you. And I commend you for the witness that you continue to give. You wear the insignia, you're a sign of contradiction.
1: No, and I think that it's important. The Scripture says, "If you want to, if you want to be a disciple of mine, pick up your cross and follow me." I, I can't say, Father Mike, to 40, 50 years ago, but that is more real to the seminarian today. I mean, yeah. Google right. priesthood, yeah. and see what you see. I, it's, it's quite different, and, and, and we're going through a change, and, and that's why. You know, some people say, oh, it must be a bad time to be in formation. It's a fantastic time to be because we have young men who are passionate and zealous and want to bring change and want to bring life and want to be faithful and and want to be able to say, okay, yes, mistakes were made, but they want to be a part of fixing that and a part of of restoring. I don't, the beauty of priesthood has never been lost. It doesn't matter what happens but the reputation perhaps. Right.
2: Yeah, it, it, it strikes me that there's a kind of twofold of uh, provocation. On, on the one hand, we are living in the midst of a toxic uh, culture. I mean, somebody described it as post human even. And, and so it's understandable that people would want to be in flight from that. But on the other hand, the noise, the dissonance that is generated uh, in the absence of of any sense of God I mean somebody wanting to take flight from that is, is perfectly healthy and the silence that i I, I expect uh, you find in in seminary formation this this yeah. island of silence uh, in the sea of this chaos yeah. uh, that is welcome uh, that that Although, is something
3: worth cultivating you know i in the last 11 years, I have uh, devoted 10 years of my spare time to yeah. teaching in seminaries, and uh, I, I enjoy a few things as much as teaching future priests. Ah, good. It's fun, especially when it comes to the Bible. But I would say that this this, this is idealized because yeah. these seminarians come not only from smaller families and a more wounded culture, but they come with their iPods and absolutely, their cell phones. Absolutely. You know, and they need to. I mean, it isn't as though we have to just create a kind of uh, hermetical isolation, you know. But at the same time, I think they learn that there is an absolute need for silence, for solitude, for
1: prayer, for study as well. Sure, so, I, uh, I I think that's absolutely true. This idealization that says that, you know, they come in and, and they're naturally formed. No, that's why it takes many years. And I would suggest that on ordination day, if one thinks that the formation is, is finished, that's ridiculous, is that this is a journey and it's a process that takes many years. And, and I'm grateful for the church and particularly for my religious community that allows us that time. Right. That we're not we're ordaining people on 18 months and saying, Go get them. I hope everything turns out okay. Well,
2: Joseph Ratzinger, I think, near the end of the 1940s when he was doing his seminary studies. This is the wake of of the collapse of the Third Reich. Germany especially lay in ruins. There weren't a lot of books uh, uh, in the seminary. It was poor. It was threadbare. And yet he discovered a world of silence, to use that wonderful title from Max Picard. And in that world, he sort of deepened. Uh, his relationship to God. And the liturgies, I, I, I think, that encounter, that flashpoint of the sacred, the transcendent in time, I, I, I think that was, that was so awesome, uh, so consuming for him. Right. And, and to think that he's being invited by God to confect the mystery that is surrounded
1: by such beauty. Well, And John Paul would speak of the the, the job of the seminarian is to be able to seek the face of Jesus, and to be able to see Him in silence, in prayer, in adoration, but then become that, that it's not simply, okay, I've seen Jesus, but the seminary and the priest is going to become that for a world. That's why we have to be able to discover the face of Jesus in, in the people that we live with, the people that we minister with, the studies that we do, and, and then be able to reflect that ultimately. And so what, desperately what are the
0: big struggles today of the seminarians as they undergo the formation? What's uh, what do they most have to adjust to or respond to?
1: Well, I think you alluded to it, and we've, we've kind of danced around it, is a world that's, that's unbelievably busy, a world that says you have to be connected with, with the internet and your phone uh. and, and all of these things that says that you have to have that or you need this the invitation that formation provides the young man to be able to step away from that. And to see, to have a realistic look at oneself. Uh, Guys are coming in who who love God and and love the church, but formation invites them to take a really hard look at themselves. So, what
0: do they struggle with most as they're going through the formation today? I mean, I remember well
2: what we struggled
0: with in the military. Yeah. But well, I mean, isn't it, it the perennial
2: challenge of uh, poverty, chastity, and obedience? Yeah. Uh, obedience.
3: Of, uh, of course. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is,
2: is that the toughest? Obedience?
1: Yes. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> At <the> be- None, <laughs> None of the them come base. easy. None of them come Although, easy. Although,
3: you know, I, I, we're dancing well, around well, something actually. else, too. That is, with the internet, uh, you know, there's this book with the title, Pornographied. You know, our culture has been pornographied like no other. And so I think they also come in with, you know, varying degrees of exposure to stuff that is debilitating Absolutely. the spiritual life, and they've got to be realistic in their own self-assessment, but they've also got to become transparent in the process of formation and spiritual direction. Yeah, let right.
0: me make a distinction here. In religious life, the obedience dominates That's because
3: right. uh-huh.
0: that will take care of... The poverty and the chastity. Uh-huh. You're yeah. told exactly okay. yeah, what yeah, you should do yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. not yeah. do. Right.
1: And, Maybe that's a difference. And
0: that's why. So I was so strong on that. It's not. It's not as strong the diocese, as the central yeah. one in the diocese. With the secular formation. clergy. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Right. But I think the the and you mentioned it, Scott. The look at the individual. That he look at himself. I remember early in my formation, I wrote a letter to my father, and and I said, Dad, we're just quiet all the time, and I have to look <laughs> at myself. And I said, and I have to see myself in a ways that I haven't ever before. And I wrote, oh. and sometimes I don't like what I see. Ah, yeah. That part is really important in formation. It is. it is. that they take an authentic look at themselves. Because as great as the guys that I work with, that I'm doing formation, and I've got a wonderful group of guys. Uh, everybody comes in with baggage, with things yeah, that right. need to be rooted out and, and the transformed. Solution, the solution is not to try to find men who can't find anything
3: in themselves they dislike, you know, no, absolutely. because the narcissist is sort of like the one who's almost intrinsically disqualified for this sort of calling. You know, I, I had a seminarian who approached me shortly before his ordination, and you could see in our conversation, his eyes were welling up with tears, he's like, Dr. Hahn, I am unworthy of this, you know, uh, and I good. said, yes, but the only thing worse is the person who says, I am worthy of this. Yeah, I deserve this. this. Yeah, you
4: are ordained uh, a That's the scary here. Right, yeah, yeah, I can handle this. Yeah, well, how, <laughs> it's
0: just a tough one. How are seminaries coming along and adopting, yeah. adopting to the new needs and the new seminarians and, and meeting these challenges in formation now? Uh, I don't know well, I think comment, that's
1: important right is, there, is yeah. yeah, the seminarians, the seminaries that are doing it well in yeah. in having an understanding of the human condition and of what the seminarians are coming out of and being able to engage them in that yeah. have been more effective. Those who have, let's say, been more motivated by an agenda or an ideology, yeah. uh, my experience is they haven't done very well. Uh-huh. You know,
0: you can go, you can jump into... A contemporary need, ideology, or you can react way back yeah. and try to be retroactive. The genera- and it's doing it in between running yeah. the right balance.
3: The generation gap is not just in the processes of formation, but it's also in the faculties I have found in teaching various seminaries sure. that older faculty members, not always, but generally tend to have been formed in the 60s and the 70s or the early 80s yeah. when the academic and the church, you know, were, were more, you know, uh, connected. Uh, Now, as the academy has become increasingly secularized, the church has had to come unto itself and recognize that that theology is not just an academic sport, it really is a spiritual science. Mm -hmm. And so, you find older faculty sometimes resenting, younger seminarians, you know, the seminarians in their 20s who are John Paul priests, they don't understand, you know, why aren't they more academic, why aren't they more cultural, political, you know. And you're like, this isn't necessarily but all I mean,
2: bad. I mean, you know? to be to be ideally academic is to be contemplative. What, yeah. what Balthazar calls a kneeling theology. Right, you're right. on you're your knees. Separated. You're prostrate before the blessed sacrament. You move in docility before this self-revealing word. In what
1: I, my experience of, of seminary training, it's the academic knowledge that the individual learns, which is is quite important. But it's also that process of going through yes. the formation that. This was a debate I, I had in seminary, In is seminary formation? Of course it is. Any education is formative. Sure. So it's that process that we go through that helps I form see. the individual.
0: Well, That's what we want to talk about when we come back, the process of formation in seminary, how it should flow and how we should understand it. Stay with us. I've been a Marian for four years
4: now, and uh,
0: one of the things that I've found uh, in my formation for some of the key things for um, the foundational aspects of uh, formation are a strong, loving relationship with the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, a humble, loving heart that's obedient, um, of the importance of obedience is, uh, is really central to f- formation for priesthood, and also the um, primacy of prayer, fidelity to prayer. And what sort of grounds all that is um, embracing the mystery of the
2: cross and sort of dying to self. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy. And you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily Mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages.
0: Welcome back. We're here at Franciscan University of Steubenville, surrounded by our students working the equipment with our special guest, Father Dave Pavanka. And we're talking about forming tomorrow's priests. Father, how long does seminary formation take? How long long should it be in process? How long
1: long should it be or how long did it take? Well, I think when talking about that, it's important to distinguish between diocesan seminary and Franciscans. I remember when I was first entering the community and my excitement says, you know, because when you first enter, all you want is how long till I get ordained. they say, well, four years of study. Oh, okay, I can do that. And, and then there's a year of novitiate, five years I can do that. Well, then there's an apostolic year. I quit asking because every time I asked, <laughs> it got longer and longer. And, and, yeah. and,
0: and you left out your candidate. You yeah, know, know, your apostolic. So for a
1: for Franciscan priest, it takes a year of postulancy, year of novitiate, four years of seminary, year of apostolic. So about seven years. Yeah. Um, is it long enough? I, you know, I look at couples who get married and make this lifelong commitment and yeah. and they've been dating a year or so, two years. Uh, I, I rejoice in what the church does. It, yes. it, it takes a time, particularly as a friar, that I have these stages that I petition for vows and I petition for renewal and I petition for solemn vows that... That we do this together, and I think that that's important. That that it's not just the the seminarian being formed. This is the church coming together, yeah. and we, as a community, as a religious community, Father Mike, as Franciscans, or the diocesan community in, in the seminary, we do this together. Uh, do I think it takes long? I think seven years, eight years is is great. Also stating that it's never done. It's not once I'm ordained. Woo hoo! Everything's right. 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 Some
3: bishops who watch this might say, well, that's so. Too, that's too expensive." Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. the fact right. is, it's more costly not to form them well. And I'll yeah. be honest. You know, again, I can only speak to the intellectual component primarily because I've never been involved in the actual spiritual formation of seminarians. But the degree of biblical illiteracy that they're coming into yeah. seminary with, and even doctrinal illiteracy. Now, the Catechism <coughs> has done a ton to make up for sure. that, because it's so scripturally saturated and yeah. such a doctrinally proportioned document, it's amazing. Yes. But at the same time, if they haven't spent time studying before they get there,
2: sure. you know, uh, four years, barely enough. You sure. Know? sure. It, it's really comforting, uh, I, I think, to know that uh, the presiding genius over this process is a very old and wise mother. I mean, the church. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you can't ordain yourself. It's not a self-help enterprise. That's she good. has to discern uh,
1: uh, whether this vocation I think is of, genuine or the, bogus. the experiences I had in my present position uh, on ordination day, the provincial and the bishop asked me, have you found this man worthy? Yes. And there's, uh, I mean, I found myself the first time having to answer that question to just, I knew that I was going to have to do that, just to pray with that, that yeah. the, and, then, and to say, yes, he, he's been tested, he's been formed and we find this man worthy there was just a a beauty and a weight to that
0: and you have to answer he hasn't just passed the courses and gotten the grades there's a spiritual psychological sociological element there and you as formation director have to attest right, right. that he's ready for what, that. What,
2: what happens if, if you deem him unworthy? Uh, does he wash out or does he go well, back
1: to go? And that's a little bit different with Franciscans is, yeah. that, is that the individual has gone through novitiate, uh, first vows, solemn vows. Yeah. So once they're in solemn vows, it, uh, they're not going to be accepted to solemn vows if, if they're oh, not going to be ultimately right. accepted yeah. for formation. And, and, and
3: for secular clergy who are in preparation. Seminarians go through an evaluation by the mm-hmm. faculty, many of whom are responsible for the spiritual formation. So you know, it's not like the assembly line where quality control only takes
1: place in the end, you know, where you're right. throwing out finished products because yeah. of And I but think that, that can happen, but it's not. And fit. that might be a difference, Father Mike, you asked earlier about how it's changed in 50 years. Uh, I think we're much more focused on the individual, that it's not this cookie cutter, but it's the yeah. individual. What is his strengths, uh, his weaknesses? And being able to really develop a program that meets his needs and, and now, the needs of the church. You
0: know, how does he relate within the community of other seminarians or religious life community? How is he living it? And the rest, it's not always past courses and he's yeah. put in the time.
1: And I think that's the sub, the most significant difference between the diocese and, and and the religious is much of my my formation is the the formation to be a Franciscan to live in the community together and. And, and how do you love one another, and how do you serve one another, and uh, whereas, you know, many of the diocesan clergy, they may be by themselves. So that is not as highlighted. But, but for us as friars, that's key, is that living in community and that relationship with the brotherhood. I, I think for a, a, a number of
2: us, uh, the real test, uh, the decisive criterion is fidelity. Faithful, I mean, are absolutely. you prepared to remain faithful, A, to the teachings of the church, and B, her lifestyle? the moral style of, of, of living like Christ perfect discipleship I mean even if you fail that's to be expected you stumble you fall you get up but if you don't acknowledge that here are the standards I, I have
1: to meet then you' you're really a menace and you have you have the opportunity of formation when you're with somebody for four or five six seven years you can see are they faithful and and not just faithful faithful to the little things there, there's a way that uh, we can, I don't know, fake it. There's a whole thing, fake, fake ah. it till you make it, you know. When you're with somebody day after day, year after yep. year, that sense of, are they faithful to the little things? Are they faithful to their responsibilities, to the brotherhood, to their studies, to their prayer, to their ministry? All of those things come yeah. and yeah. are all important. And, and I'm glad you said this because I think
3: some people who get frustrated would say orthodoxy, you know, as though that's the litmus test. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not a, a party platform. It really is Christ-likeness. And so that's important, but it's a subset of fidelity. It's one of the things that's important. And, you know, formation, I think we also have to remember, is not just taking place in the seminary, but after ordination, because it's a subset of conversion, which is ongoing and ever deepening. Yeah. And so I think seminarians have to realize that, you know, graduation is a kind of commencement for them, the same way it is in other institutions. You know, and I spoke earlier of the generation gap between, you know, the older faculty and the, the younger, the seminarians. But I think that's also true in a lot of diocesan clergy, that a lot of the priests out there who were formed in the 60s and the 70s, you know, forget that they were always saying, you know, why don't, you know, to the the older people back then, be open. You know, be open to change. You know, and and then they get fed up with the John Paul priests or whatever. I think we have to remind them, hey, be open. To change. <laughs> right, you know, right, right, right. And, and right, be open right. to the work of the Holy Spirit you know, in Absolutely. this whole new generation as well. Yeah.
1: I think that's one of the difficulties as well as, as the clergy is getting older uh, and, and we're having the young priests come in, there's a, a greater split between ages and, and, and really two different worlds. And, yeah. and, and I think it's difficult for the older clergy, and I think at times it's difficult for the younger clergy. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you've got a psychological, sociological mm-hmm. component here that doesn't get reduced back to the courses you took and whether you follow the horarium.
3: Right, right, right. And if you've got older clergy who don't, who didn't like John Paul or Pope Benedict, oh, and you know, my. they get a younger priest who is a kind of John Paul type priest or one want, like who wants to yeah. be like Benedict, you know, he'll become the embodiment of the things that he finds right, right. He such an aversion to. And, and you find that at times and, you know, I think that's where the seminarian also has to be prepared sure, so that he can not sure. only just survive, but he can enter into friendship with people who might disagree or misperceive, you know, and, and somehow find the common ground. Yeah. I don't
0: find anybody that doesn't like John Paul II or Benedict, but I find a lot that think uh, they're being misinterpreted, they're being exaggerated, they're, they're going too far, you've got to… So, it's uh, kind of whether you keep their teaching and influence within a certain category or box, or right. whether it's a launching pad for new and different ideas and programs. Mm-hmm. And then I find a real difference as to right. whether I didn't people say want they didn't
3: respect. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, if you're really advocating women's ordination, yeah. other social, oh, political right. issues, oh, well.
1: those kinds of priests would not be lining up behind your door or right. mine no, to no, talk right, to right, us. Right. No, well, we've got like, even myself, I was I was born the year Vatican II closed. So my whole existence has been, and, yeah. and there's actually a, a population that that's all they've ever known, right. and, and that there's a, there's a value and there's a beauty and there's a goodness in that. The danger is to be able to begin to separate these things that say, okay, because you're the John Paul Pope or whatever, or the John Paul priest, uh, as if you put them aside. We need to come together more right. in, in unity and, and see the beauty that the younger priests provide and that they're offering and the wisdom and the goodness of, of the priests who are older. That's why one of the reasons I yeah. love being a friar, Father Mike, is because, yeah. you know, you, you go to dinner and you've got priests that, have, right that are 28 them. years old and been ordained yeah. for a month and Father that's been ordained for 60 years. There's something beautiful in that.
2: Well, well, surely uh, the unifying theme would have to be Christ, the person of Christ that that everybody has fallen in love with. You know, as the the letter to the Hebrews tells us, uh, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you're not configured to Him, if you haven't fallen headlong in love with Him and and it's a personal relationship, then you you can't really be trusted. Uh, You're going to lose. Uh, You're going to dissipate whatever good you've been given, uh, and in the end, you're going to make a wretched uh, priest. So how, Mm -hmm.
0: because of all the developments and all the disparity in seminary formation and all the different uh, excitements over different theologians and the rest, what are the holes, what are the biggest risks, difficulties that can happen now in seminary formation so that it doesn't achieve what we're after.
1: Yeah, I think probably one of the greatest struggles is actually one that we've talked about, and that is um, a merging together of, of the spiritual life uh, in the academic life, that, that they two, the two of them really come together, that they don't have to be separated. That, yeah. You know, that you're, I recall a story of von Balthasar when he was in class and he was listening to the people teach theology, and it was driving him crazy because there was no sense of passion or fire or zeal that mm. he put cotton in his ears just so he didn't. Mm. So to have, to have the seminary be a, a place of faith, a community of yeah. faith that comes together, that, that prays together, that worships together, that celebrates sacrament together, that repents together, that studies together, that tests together, that, that there not be this separation. And, and I think all too often some faculty say, well, that's their job. And, and the rector says well that's their job. When it's yeah. all, We do this together. It, it
3: has right? to be coordinated. You know yeah. I, I've told my seminarians the same thing I've told my undergrads and grads and that is uh, you know you can tell if you're praying right because praying right doesn't mean that you want to study less. Mm. You know if you're praying right you're going to end up studying better. Yeah. And if you're studying right it's going to lead you back to prayer because you're not just studying the subject of the Trinity or Christology or Ecclesiology. You're falling in love with Mother Church. You're discovering Jesus Christ who is your Savior and Lord, you know, the, 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 the Divine Father, you know, of the Holy Trinity. This is st- subject matter that you ought to master, but you also ought to allow it to master you and so, instead of a, a tension or a polarization, there really needs to come together a, a kind of harmony where they're mutually reinforcing, a kind of feedback loop, you know. Right. It isn't easy to maintain, but it's absolutely necessary to pursue. Right. right. And so that the, work is important, that, that you have to
1: work together sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And not it, it's really,
2: it's not, it's not fundamentally different from a marriage. I mean, Scott and I didn't say to our wives, I hope we didn't, I love you, and that was on the day of the marriage, right. so I'm I'm now safe. I don't have to say it anymore. I don't have to show we it. We exchange consent. Right. I by. mean, when it, when it, after yeah. a priest is ordained, he doesn't retire his curiosity, his capacity to grow or to yeah. deepen his understanding. He keeps and reading. He keeps praying.
0: And developing professionally. True. That's part of it, you know. It's... Uh, you can have a pastoral heart, a good spiritual life, and that's great, but you need to develop some professional skills to really care for the people. And, right. and yeah, uh, becomes... many times you gotta balance the books and not spend the <laughs> yeah. money all yeah, the
1: way. I agree that the demands on priests today and the competencies on priests today is being unbelievably public people and at times managing budgets and facilities, uh, very, very difficult. Yeah. But again, the priority of prayer, I think, is Absolutely. manifest, you know. And, and the priest knowing himself, to say, okay, these are not necessarily my strengths, strengths or weaknesses. And, and not just to wash my hands, I'm not good at that, but to be able to recognize it, to see it. Right. And Delegate it, but even oversee those mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. whom He delegates. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a lot like fathering a
3: natural family, you know, or in my case now, grandfathering, too, yeah. you know, where you see your sons becoming fathers. It, it, it really is, I think, a kind of spiritual reproduction that takes place, you know, both in the church as well as in the domestic church. Right, right, and, right. right.
0: Well, the subject's somewhat unlimited. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, and, right. And, right. And every seminarian, almost every Catholic will come up with a, another idea there. But when we come back, let's try and have some final thoughts on the forming of tomorrow's priests and what they most need or what should be emphasized the future for the church. Stay with us.
4: The Priestly Discernment Program at Franciscan University is designed to help men follow their hearts. We provide a space where they can begin to pray from the heart and listen to what the Lord is asking. We have excellent speakers, we have formation nights, we have small group discussions all designed to create a space where a man can discern. This university is different because um, not only, it's gonna sound cliche, but that academically challenging, passionately Catholic, like it's not a lie. It's, it's an it's a academically prestigious school, but it has this Catholic environment that is unlike anything else I've ever seen or experienced firsthand. Priests are very available um, to hear confessions and just spiritual direction, you know, do the sacraments. Franciscan University is academically challenging and passionately Catholic.
0: Well, we've come to the end of our discussion on Forming Tomorrow's Priest. We all have different experiences. We all have different ideas. We all know what we have most liked and what we've seen lacking. Uh, But we're going to have some final words from the panelists here as to what should you take away to have this discussion and topic yield fruit in your life and your ministry as needed. Aegis.
2: Yeah, uh, something struck me uh, in the last uh, segment. Uh, We were discussing the difficulties and challenges that beset uh, priesthood today. And and the thing that pops up for me is loneliness, the burden mm-hmm. of being alone. Maybe not for the religious because you live in community, but the parish priest, uh, uh, he is alone, increasingly bereft, uh, sadly reduced in numbers. Uh, and and how does one how does one uh, uh, reach out to him? Uh, it, it seems to me by externalizing a sense of gratitude for what he represents, what he brings to yeah. your life. Uh, uh, Scott and I belong to a parish uh, whose pastor is an extraordinary man, uh, Monsignor Jantz. And a year or so ago when I finished a book on the sacraments, I had to dedicate it to him because ah. here is the guy who awakens me each morning yes. to the wonders of, of God incarnate. How do you thank somebody uh, who says, take and eat? This is my body, this is my blood. I mean, there's no end of, of thanksgiving. There's a a great line uh, uh, in Chesterton about how difficult it is to thank civilization uh, for the goods that it dispenses. I mean, how does one requite a civilization for the (laughs) immense good it provides? And, And Chesterton says it's not possible. You're rendered speechless when you begin to inventory all the good it has done. I, I remember in the wake of 9-11 reaching out to guys in uniform and perfect strangers yeah. and just saying, thank you, because oh. I felt safe because of these guys. Yeah. And, and yet that's only in the civil order, the secular world. I mean, how does one requite uh, uh, a, a priest for the supernatural good that he does? He mediates the mystery of God. Oh. Uh, you know, in, in, in John's Gospel, we've got these Greeks who accost Philip and they say, look, we want to see Jesus. And what does Philip do? He takes them to Jesus. That, that's what priests do. They open the door to God and show us the face of Christ. I mean, how, how, can, you, how can you possibly thank a priest enough for that?
4: Wow. Well, okay.
3: I didn't realize that a year ago, both of us dedicated our most recent book. I just came out with a book called, Many Are Called, Rediscovering the Glory of the Priesthood. We doubled and dedicated it to Monsignor Jans as well for embodying (laughs) the mystery, you know. (laughs) Uh, And I would say as a takeaway thought, first of all, let's pray for our priests, you know, and never denigrate them, you know, not even when you get home and are just in the safe confines of your family. Build them up. Find the good. Philippians 4.8, as I always tell my kids, if there's anything true, anything good, anything worthy of praise, think on these things, treat them the way you want, to want them to treat you. And,
0: you know, know that they're not stupid. If you keep right. thanking <laughs> them for one right. area, but right. not yeah. mentioning the other areas, yeah. they're going to yeah. say, oh, well, right. Right. you know, I ought sure. to look at that yeah. too. Yeah.
3: The second thing I would do is encourage vocations, encourage them, you know, don't discourage them. Don't say, are you sure, you know, the, the priesthood is no longer, you know, the, what it was. It's, yeah. it's just what it was, if not better. You know, and I'll talk to young men, my own sons, but also their friends and others. And whenever I hear something like, you know, I don't feel any attraction to the priesthood, oh, yeah. you know, I, I will say that's no sign that you're not called. That's just a sign that you haven't understood the priesthood right, yet. Right. Yeah. Because the priesthood is supernatural fatherhood. It's intrinsically attractive if you don't find it attractive, you're going to have to look into it more closely. You might not be called, right? Right. right. but you better recognize that there's right. this intrinsic beauty and power to that. not That isn't less than natural family life, but arguably much more so. And so, in conversations, in prayer, and in friendships, I think we should encourage every young man out there to okay. consider that possibility.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, I think there's reason for great hope in the church. Yeah. When when I take a look at the seminarians that our community has been blessed with, Father Mike, and with more numbers than we've had in, in decades, and it's just God's faithfulness and grace. So there is, there is cause for rejoicing here. There is. Uh, I had an experience when I was a seminarian, and I was, being, I was stationed at a parish, a busy parish in Texas, and a gentleman came in on Monday morning irate. Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock, he came to the rectory and wanted to talk to a priest. And there was nobody there. He hadn't made an appointment. He just showed up. And it was Saturday afternoon. There were three priests. There were other places. And, and the secretary said something to the effect of, do you expect them to be here all the time? And he said, yes. <laughs> and I was a seminarian, and I, was, I found myself struck with that. Yeah. What is it reasonable to expect of our priests? Is it reasonable that I can be there for somebody 24 hours a day? Probably not. So what I was struck by is it is reasonable that uh, our priests, our seminarians, pray, that they be men of prayer, that seek the face of Jesus and then open the door that brings them there, that our seminarians be men who are intimately connected and rooted in the Eucharist. Uh, you're right, Regis. We can't say thank you. And that's what the Eucharist is. It's, it's the eternal thank you because words aren't enough. And, and to have our, we can expect our seminarians, our priests to be in love with the Eucharist, to spend time with Jesus in the Eucharist. Um, We can expect faithfulness, and that's why academics are important, because it's that process of being faithful to everything, faithful to the little things. If our priests aren't faithful to their studies, are they going to be faithful to their prayer? Are they going to be faithful to their homily preparations? That's important. All said and done, I've never had anybody ask me, what did you get in Christology? Did you get an A, a B? It's never happened. But hopefully that process of going through the course and studying and learning has formed me to be a, a, a priest, ultimately. And then uh, I think I, I would just close with exactly what you're saying, is is to be able to pray, you know, uh, for vocations. I believe my mom and dad prayed every day of their life. That one of their boys. There's five boys in my family. We drew straws. I won, I lost, depending on who you're talking to on the day of the week. But. Um, uh, and they didn't tell us every day, we're praying for one of We knew that my mom and dad prayed and that they prayed for vocations. So I would encourage the people watching the program to pray. Pray for vocations uh, for your not just your children, but pray for my the vocations that I'm responsible for. Lord knows they need other people's prayer because they have to live with me, okay? So uh, pray for vocations in our seminarians.
0: Yeah. Well, the heart of it is what does God want? Does God want them to move on to... A A more contemplative life to seminary formation to priestly ministry to missionary to really want what god wants pray that way and encourage and listen and watch them especially in your family so you can affirm what's what's good and what you see happening in their lives because god never ceases to act to call he's there and we don't substitute for him, but we have to watch and listen, affirm, and encourage. And that is what is needed so that they hear the call. Vocation means call. It, it, it isn't a nice idea. It isn't uh, choosing among the professions. It's what is God calling you to do? What does God want for your life? And to have that desire will not only land you where God wants and move the men into the seminaries as needed, but will lay a foundation to serve the people later. What does God want you to do now for others? So may this be our prayer. May this be our our desire. And we have a, Handout just for the asking, the letter of His Holiness Benedict XVI to seminarians. Till next time, may the Lord bless and keep you, show his face to have mercy on you, turn his countenance to you and give you his peace. Father, Son, and Spirit.
3: To receive a free handout on today's topic or to purchase a video of this show, call 888 888- that's 888-333-0381 or call 740-283-6357. Email your request to presents at franciscan.edu or write to Franciscan University Presents Franciscan University of Steubenville, 1235 University Boulevard, Steubenville, Ohio
2: 43952.